and I found this this new term which I've adopted it's called post-traumatic growth and what I learned from that is that trauma deepens your ability to feel pain and joy you know and that's I think that's where the real compassion occurs like life opens up in new ways there is life after trauma you don't bounce back as they say you bounce forward Welcome to A Woman's Blessing podcast. My name is Lynette Allen and this show is dedicated to honouring the strength and resilience of women. Over the past 20 years, I've held a lot of sister circles and I've hosted some really beautiful healing medicine retreats where I've been truly humbled to hear the stories of women and how they've overcome really hard life situations. Women are so resilient and we are so brave and we develop courage and determination we never knew we had when we find ourselves in critical times and we pull ourselves through no matter what's going on. This show is about meeting those women. We'll be hearing their most personal stories to reveal how they got through, what they did, where their strength came from in order to inspire you. And I don't know if I'm going to find another more personal story to tell than the one that will come from my beautiful friend today. So I would very much like to introduce you to Elle. Hello Elle, how are you darling? Hi Lynette, I'm great thanks, how are you? I'm okay, I'm so excited to talk to you on this podcast because I think the wisdom you have garnered and gathered over your entire life, actually, from that I know about it, but certainly of that over the past three or four years, I believe will help a lot of people right now. And this is the first time you're talking about your story, yes? Yeah, first time. Okay, so that deserves an acknowledgement of your bravery and my listeners will understand why when they hear it. So I mentioned in my intro that I've held lots of sister circles and hosted some deeply healing medicine retreats. Mm -hmm. That's where our story starts. That's where I met you because you came on one of those retreats. And I don't think I've known anything more healing, actually, than that retreat you were on. Absolutely. <laughs> you came to our retreat to do ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. Do you want to just tell us about that time and what happened shortly after you got home from your ayahuasca ceremony do you want to intro it that way yeah sure so I had this like calling to do ayahuasca did the research and I had booked in to do the retreat with you it was on July the 7th 2017 um I do everything by numbers and full moon. It was a full moon on the 7th of July and it was the Dalai Lama's birthday. So I specifically chose that week. That week was important to me. So I came along to the retreat. It was a five-day retreat and absolute life-changing. Now, I, my calling to do the retreat was um, for forgiveness. I wanted to forgive my mother. So my mom died of meningitis when I was 16 years old and I held all this anger for all these years, um, it just consumed me. I never went for therapy. I just learned to live with it and to ignore it. You know, I had gone to convent schools most of my life, but after my mom's death, I was convinced there was no God. I closed myself off from anything religious or spiritual. I grew up alone and very fast. Um, and in those years, I guess I just self-medicated by partying. So in my 20s, I went across to Dublin and London. I worked in PR and everything. My life was perfect on paper, but I was missing something. I didn't know what it was, but I was definitely missing something. And then when I was around 28 years old, I was obviously going through my Saturn, Saturn returns. Um, a very close friend of mine, Brandon, in South Africa had a heart attack and died. And his death sort of regurgitated my mom's death and six months after my mother had died when I was 16 my aunt committed suicide so all those deaths and it, it's happened throughout my life every time someone new dies all those deaths are regurgitated and like slapped back you know slaps me in the face again so mm, yeah. you know coming to the ayahuasca retreat I, I wanted to come and just I was tired of feeling that way and having all that anger and sadness and sorrow and I just I thought it's time to just forgive her and let go so I can move on and live a happier life 
Um, well, ayahuasca mm-hmm. gave me that and so much more. It was the most phenomenal, life-changing experience of my entire life. My mom came to me on the first night in ceremony, my deceased mom, and I remember she sat next to me. I was sitting outside looking up at the, the full moon. It was absolutely beautiful. I was outside the yurt. It was just phenomenal. Um, our shaman was playing the most beautiful music, and I was just in the most – I felt like I was in heaven. And my mother walked up to me and sat down next to me, and um, she basically said that she forgives me and I need to forgive her. And um, it wasn't – she didn't want to leave me but it was her time to leave me that her time on this earth was done. She um, had served all her lessons, learned her all her lessons, and now it was time for me to learn mine. And, you know, everything's going to be okay. She's always with me. So I'm sitting there looking at my mom on the right side of me and just like blown away at this message. And like all that anger just dissipated. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I just felt this absolute unconditional love. Then this little five-year-old girl walks (laughs) to the left of me and sits down beside me. And it was just a little version of myself. I'd had a miscarriage five years before that. And I guess my daughter Mm -hmm. would have been about five years old. So this little mirror image of five-year-old me comes and sits down next to me. And she then forgives me. (laughs) This story is just going to make me cry. I think I'm just going to cry all the way through this, Ellen. (laughs) And this little girl looks at me and looks up at me with these big green eyes and she says to me, it's okay, mommy, you weren't ready to have me, you weren't ready to have a daughter yet because you carried all this fear and all this pain that you felt that you couldn't be a mother because your mother had left you and you thought that you wouldn't know how to be a mother, but it's okay, mom. So I'm sitting there. Um, looking up at the full moon with my mom on my right my daughter on my left and I just felt this absolute unconditional love and they both sort of reassured me that they were with me all the time and everything was going to be okay and I did I felt that I felt that connectedness and all the the anger and the blame and the sadness just just went away it was wonderful yeah anyway that night finished and I continued the retreat I was there for five days so I think I sat in ceremony three times and I just left feeling like a different person like feeling reborn and happy and like ready to take on my life it was just wonderful I went home after the retreat which finished on the 11th of July and my friend Jess had been house sitting my apartment. Um, Jess was a friend of mine that I'd met in the yachting industry, and I told her that I was going to do the ayahuasca retreat and I needed someone to look after my two budgies, Shiva and Ganesh. So Jess said she would love to come stay. So I remember coming home on that 11th of July and I sat and I just told her about this most phenomenal experience I had on ayahuasca and how you know, life after death is amazing. Like that's when life starts and like how we are all connected and um, not to be afraid of dying. And it's just us humans in this 3D form that can't see that. But, you know, it's just phenomenal. And like I was telling her and expressing, like I can't actually wait to die. It's just beautiful. I was no longer afraid of death. Mm -hmm. Ten days later, Jess was murdered. Yeah. Um. Jess went down on a Friday night. This is going to be one of those podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, both tissues. Um, Yeah, Jess went out on the 21st of July and her drink was spiked with GHB. Um, She was in a nightclub. She went into cardiac arrest. She was brain dead on arrival at the hospital. She was in a coma for four days and she died on the 25th of July, 2017. So... That absolutely broke me. I somehow, like, I felt responsible for it. And I felt like I'd manifested this since, you know, just 10 days before that. I sat with her having this deep and meaningful conversation about how wonderful death was. And then here I sat with the girl that I discussed death with gone. So that really, really hit me hard. I spent the next few months in my apartment, windows, blinds closed, drinking about four bottles of Rioja a day home alone and I just I was just broken but um something came out of me then I um I mean I was rock bottom but I started painting as well I started painting abstract resin artworks so what was interesting was I've never painted I've before ayahuasca and during the ayahuasca ceremony I sort of also got this message from 
madre or other um, mother ayahuasca and she was telling me to paint and I remember telling Jess this as well saying this is just ridiculous I've got this urge to paint um, and Jess was now Jess was the artist and Jess was like well you never know until you try just go and go to the art shop buy some um, acrylics and just paint so I did that I like went and bought a box I think I spent 300 euro on acrylics canvases and it sat in my lounge for like 10 days after the retreat with me just like looking at this box thinking I've wasted money like what the hell I have no idea what to do with this the day that Jess died I took out my first canvas and I started to paint and that was sort of my own comfort and like that's where I found that you know those are the darkest months of my life but this artist sort of just came out and it was the only thing that got me through really like I physically wanted to die I just could not imagine living Jess and I had plans to travel to Bali that September together we had plans to open up a cafe in Mallorca we had all these plans and they were just like ripped away from me so I was rock bottom I was drinking mm. a lot and just you know keeping to myself and then it was my on my birthday that September I had a complete sort of breakdown but a breakthrough as well I went out with a few friends and I literally had one glass of Rioja at dinner which was strange because I had been used to drinking like four bottles a day and I had one glass and I ran to the bathroom in the restaurant and I sat with my head in the toilet for about two hours just throwing up it was like I was just purging you know the last okay. few months of all the drinking and it just came out of me it was just horrible so I went home yeah. that night, I didn't have any more wine, I went home and I knew something had to change. Um, I booked a flight to Bali, I literally just booked a one-way ticket, I booked to Jess's birthday, it would have been the 30th of September 2017, and I flew out on the 1st of October. <laughs> so, ran away from my problems, went to Bali, I thought Bali's a great place, healing, that's the place I need to be drawn to Bali. So... My first three months in Bali mm -hmm. were, were great. I dived into all sorts of things. I discovered breathwork in Changu, um, the yoga barn in Ubud. Um, I visited all sorts of healers in Balinese Mancus. And, you know, life started to look up. And then I was in uh, at the yoga barn in Ubud. And there was an Indian guru there called Punu Wasu, who I highly recommend. He's phenomenal. Um, we spoke about Jess's death and I spoke about my whole ayahuasca experience and I told him how I somehow felt like I'd manifested it and it was my fault and then I asked him if ayahuasca was preparing me for Jess's death. You know, they say that you sort of get a calling for it when you need it. Yeah. So I kind of, I was trying to piece everything together myself yeah. and I remember his mm -hmm. face, he just looked up at me, this Indian guru's face, this turban and he just looked at me and smiled and he said, not at all. You were preparing Jess for her death. Oh, so sorry. There's such beauty in this, you know, there's such beauty in these words. Thank you. So that really sort of shook me, but I took solace in that. And then it's kind of the whole ayahuasca thing all came back and all my learnings from that ayahuasca ceremony that we are all connected and death is wonderful and it's a wonderful thing to happen and a wonderful place to be and I kind of that all sort of flashback and um and that really helped me sort of get over Jess's death so then things I sort of felt that things were moving um in the right direction and things were looking up and I was almost exhausted from all the healing I was doing I was just immersing myself into breath work and sound healing and just every healer I had I think every healer in Manku on speed dial it was great. I was I was feeling like on top of the world again. It was wonderful. Yeah. And then in January, so three months into my Bali trip, um, I was finally seeing the light again. I received a phone call from my cousin uh, who was in Scotland to tell me that my cousin in Vancouver had just committed suicide. Yeah. Sorry. So um, no, no, there it's quite all right. <laughs> No, there it was again, death like thrown in my face. Here I am alone in Bali, having done like immense healing work on myself to get me to a place where I'm finally looking up, where life is sort of somewhat bearable again. And then another life very close to me is just ripped away from me. So um, I completely lost it. I couldn't breathe. I panicked. And to give some background, Dakota, Dakota and you were very close and she yeah. was this most beautiful, 
very talented young girl with so much to live for. Yeah, Dakota was amazing. She was 23. She had the most beautiful singing voice. She was creative. She was a dancer, a gymnast, a yogi. She was just an old soul. And Dakota was actually born just before my mother died. So, And that's the family, the aunt and uncle that I was staying with, my mom's brother, at the time of my mom's death. So when my mother had been like ripped mm. apart, like away from me, this beautiful little baby girl was born and you know so there was a deep deep connection like yeah. I equate her to sort of the light at the end mm-hmm. of the tunnel when my mom had died so there was a deep connection with Dakota and I yeah so yeah so that really yeah. really like it just broke me I just I remember I just couldn't breathe and I just I didn't want to live it was just horrible so it was later that sept, uh, sorry January Dakota's funeral I was in Sonoma with a friend in Bali with a friend Mark and we were sitting on the beach and we were drinking. I was just drowning my sorrows in, in red wine again. And I decided I wanted to go for a swim. So Mark said, okay. He thought I was a bit nuts because it was dark. Um, I think it might have been full moon again. I went out for a swim and I had full into- I just wanted to drown. I literally just wanted to swim and just never come back. And mm. I went quite far out and I stood on a sea urchin and I got these bloody sparks in my foot and the pain just like catapulted me through the water and like up into the air and breathing again. Mark saw this sort of commotion in the water. He jumped in, swam out to get me, threw me over his shoulders and basically saved my life. Like I literally wanted to drown. I could not, I just, I did not see a way out like after all of this and Having just yeah. recovered from, uh, you know, Jess, the pain from Jess's death or Jess's murder, and then to hear that my cousin had killed herself, I was just broken, mm. absolutely broken. I can't imagine how any of that feels. Mm. It's horrible. It's really, oh, it's awful. So 2018 just sucked. Like all the life had just been sucked out of me. I thought 2017 was bad. 2018 was just, the start of it was just horrific. I stayed on in Bali, but at this stage, I was so angry at the world, angry at God, angry at everything. So I sort of gave, parked the healers and spirituality. I thought, well, that's not bloody working. You know, I did all I could, did all this work, and you've taken someone else away from me. So I started partying again yeah. and drinking and, you know, drowning my sorrows in, in alcohol again just to mask like the deepest sorrow and pain that I had. Mm. So that was most of 2018. So towards 20, the end of that year, I just woke up one one morning after a night out just feeling absolutely horrible. And I sat in the shower of my villa and I just cried and cried and cried. I was just broken. I remember looking up and saying, like, what the fuck? Like, why do I deserve this? Why does this keep happening? So, um... I just had this this thought and I just thought, well, I wanted a complete change. I booked a taxi up to Abud's water temple the next day. So I remember going to this water temple and um, you sort of like go under the waterfalls. And I think there's like 13 like little waterfalls that you go under. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I begged for forgiveness. I asked for help, for guidance. I remember like looking up going, whoever you are, wherever you are, just I need help. I really need help. And, um, yeah, I made, I made a promise to the universe and God. And I said, you know, I'll give up my parting lifestyle. I'll give it all up. Just give me another chance of happiness, you know? And if, if I screw it up again, take it all away from me. You can take it all away, but I promise you, I'm so desperate. And I just, I want, I want help, you know? This is one of the most difficult podcasts. I think, uh, my listeners will hear from on my show. So, um, so I left that water temple and I went home and everything was okay. And um, I was, you know, just living, going through every hour, not even every day, just every hour, just like hoping for a change. And I was in Semenyak about a week later and I was in a cafe. I think it was called The Wild One. A guy walked in and my eyes caught his. And I remember looking at him. He walked past me at the till and I said to him, has anyone ever told you you look like Bradley Cooper? Now, I had literally just come back from the cinema and I just watched The Star is Born. But I just, like, I looked at the sky and I just, I saw Jackson mm-hmm. in him. Well, the rest is history. He asked mm-hmm. for my number. 
he asked for my number. We started dating um, and I moved in with him after about a month. And mm-hmm. um, he, you know, things are wonderful. He asked me to marry him. He wanted me to have his child. I was just, I was so happy. I was on cloud nine and I kind of felt like this was the reward Finally, I'd been rewarded from the universe and I just like I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to ruin this. This is the happiest I think I've ever been in my entire life. Um, I fell pregnant. I found out I was pregnant on, I think it was St. Patrick's Day. So that would have been the 17th of March. And I was, I think, nine, nine weeks pregnant at that stage. And I was just so happy. Um, not long after that, Christian relapsed. So... He suffered with alcoholism. He was an alcoholic. He was bipolar too. Uh, he was put on Prozac, Xanax, you name it. They just threw every drug at him. He suffered with mental illness and um, he was Australian, but he had zero support from his family in Australia. Uh, when he relapsed, I had reached out to them and his I just remember his mom and brother, and they were just like, no, we've done everything we can for him. Um, they had actually sent him to Bali a couple of years before that and put him in rehab so when I met him he was like 18 months sober and I just remember thinking god you're the most normal Mm -hmm. man I've ever met like I can't I I just could not imagine it but I never really knew what an alcoholic was until I lived through it with him um so I reached out to his family and they just washed their hands and they just were not willing to help apart from his sister Gabby who lives in Tennessee she was the most amazing support um, for him and for me and she still is which is great so Christian relapsed and then early April I had a miscarriage I lost our um, our child who I think I was about 10 weeks pregnant so that was quite devastating mm. and yeah that was the start of April and then Lynette I remember coming to have lunch with you and um, Mark and Livy and Seminyak yeah. it was the east it was just it was the yeah. Saturday before Easter Sunday and we had lunch and I'd asked Chris invited Christian yeah. along but he just wasn't feeling great so I just left him at home so I went home after our lunch and I was telling him how excited I was mm-hmm. that you guys had moved to Bali and I you know to have your support and friends and it was so great and he was just I just remember he was just an absolute mess mm-hmm. that Saturday and um I wanted to take him to hospital. He refused. Um, I stayed up with him. We didn't sleep. I just stayed up with him, like trying to help him. He was shaking. He was just in an absolute state. Um, and then at six o'clock that Sunday morning, so Easter Sunday, he sort of stumbled out the villa and said he was taking himself to rehab. So I was like, okay with that. I thought, well, you know, if yeah. he's willing to get help and I offered to take him and he said, no, he's fine. He's going. So that was it. He walked out. Um, but it was weird because when he left, like, I had a feeling that I would never see him again. I didn't know why or how. I thought he was gonna, maybe he was going to break up with me or I just I just had a feeling that I was not going to see him again. Um, and then two days later, mm-hmm. it was Tuesday, the 23rd of April, 2019, at 10.30 a.m., he hung himself. He hung himself in his bathroom at rehab. Yeah, and um, his psychologist, the psychologist at rehab, called me that afternoon at three thirty, and um, my life had literally changed in a split second. Before the call, I was happy in love. Yeah. I had compassion for his pain. I was supporting his mental illness, and it was like I had left behind that person I was before I got the call, and suddenly had to just step forward with this new me, this like new courage and strength like I had no idea where it came from and I felt like I'd been catapulted into a whole new world and um, I found myself at that familiar place rock bottom mm-hmm. so um a week after I got the news I went and uh, sat with him for about three hours in the morgue I um I'd spoken to a psychologist and family and friends and asked them you know I'd never seen a dead body or gone to a morgue or anything like that and although I've got so much death around me that was still a big step for me Mm. but I I wanted to I wanted to go and say my final goodbye to him because he wasn't the Christian I knew when he walked out that villa door that morning that Sunday morning and I hadn't you know I wanted to say my goodbye so I remember going to the morgue 
and sitting there with him and playing our playlist that we had, our Spotify playlist, and literally talking to this frozen body in front of me. I burnt incense, I bought mala beads, put the mala beads on him, I brushed his hair. People at the morgue must have thought I was absolutely crazy. Like apparently people don't do this. They don't go and sit with the body and play music and like talk to it. But I needed to. Like that was me forgiving him and saying goodbye. Yeah. Following day, it was his cremation. The next couple of weeks were just a complete blur. I had to pack up our villa. I had to rehome our two cats and our dog. I literally donated just uh, the contents, everything in our villa to an orphanage in Bali and bought a one-way ticket to England. And um, absolutely nothing could have ever prepared me for what I went through. Like you would think that after all the death I'd experienced before that, and even in such a short space of time with Dakota and Jess, that I would be able to cope, but I didn't. I, um, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. I was angry, I felt shame, guilt, rage, horror, trauma, hopelessness, blame felt like my heart had literally been ripped out of my chest. I had horrific nightmares. I was angry at everyone, the world, like God. I was just just so angry. You know, it's like suicide is a club that nobody wants to be a part of with a massive growing membership. Yeah. It's crazy, like just yeah. how much suicide there is. And it's 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 only it's been just over a year now and I'm only just starting to smile and to to really appreciate every day and I think the important thing to remember is that nobody is to blame you know the self-dialogue that you have is just the worst my the first that year this last year my head has just been filled with what ifs and if onlys but it's important not to get caught up in that headspace very it's very hard not to but it's you have to remember like a suicidal mind is an irrational mind you know for them it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem Mm, I spent those first three months in England um in bed I didn't want to walk I didn't want to talk I didn't hardly left the room um I didn't want to see anyone and then one day was late July and I was sitting in the bath and I was just sobbing and I just sobbed my heart out I just did not want to live in that moment, I surrendered to the universe and I just, I was like, just show me away, show me away. And then suddenly I sort of had this voice in my head and I got this message that I needed to develop a roadmap to survival. And I thought, well, what the hell does that mean? And I don't know what happened, but something definitely changed in me. I got out the bath, I got dressed and I went for a walk. Um, I was in the high street in this English village where I was staying with my family and I found a spiritualist church. So I joined the spiritualist church. I went to these meetings every Tuesday. And um, it's, you know, I was the youngest person there, surrounded by these like much older spiritual people. We would sing hymns. It was all, Mm -hmm. it was wonderful. I just, it was, it was wonderful feeling. Very strange and not the sort of group that I'm used to, but it was, it was wonderful. Um, I logged back onto Facebook. Um, I did. A, I started searching for suicide survivor groups. I found a wonderful group on Facebook called the Brave Ladies Club, and um, this is only for wives and spouses of suicide survivors. And I just could not believe, like, yeah. this group had reached its capacity, and that there were that many women around the world that shared my story. And I just found so much comfort yeah. and courage in this community. You know, like my own friends and family just didn't even know what to say. They don't know how to address you. It's almost as if you're walking yeah. around with a massive S tattooed on your forehead. And you just you just feel so alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember being told yeah. by a Christian psychologist, the day that he died, I went like a, sc- a screaming mad woman into the, the rehab and um, demanding answers. And he sat down with me and six hours later, he sort of diagnosed me with PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder disorder and um I hated this label firstly I thought you know I don't have a disorder I just lost my fiance I'm in pain I'm grieving I just experienced a horrific trauma you know I need help processing it and help you know to find a way out I hated this sort of personal description on my mental state my challenges didn't have to be or didn't have to result in a disorder it's not what was wrong with me but what had happened to me yeah sure. it's you know I sort of 
I realized that I couldn't outthink the trauma or understand why it happened. I had to stop asking myself these questions, but I could ask, now what? Yeah. And um, I wanted to find a way through those traumatic events without sort of being labeled disordered. Um, and instead, I was stronger. And I think that is the essence of resilience. You don't become stronger, wiser or resilient in spite of adversity. You become stronger, wiser, resilient because of the adversity. And um, I, I did my own research. I didn't go for therapy. I didn't go for counseling. I didn't want to speak to any of these people because they were just labeling me with PTSD. And I didn't like that. You know, mm. so I found did my own research. Um, there's so much support out there. If you do, if you look hard enough, you'll find it. YouTube videos, you you know, groups online on Facebook, and I found this this new term which I've adopted. It's called post traumatic growth. Okay. And what I learned from that is that trauma. It was really interesting. Like trauma deepens your ability to feel pain and joy. You know, and that's, I think, that's where the real compassion occurs. Like, life opens up in new ways. There is life after trauma. And you don't bounce back, as they say. You bounce forward. Like, my post-traumatic growth taught me two things. I had two options here. To let it destroy me or to make me a better person. Yeah. And I'd like to think that it's made me a better person. Like, you learn to value your friends and family more. You have a new sense of gratitude for everything, you know, just for being able to breathe again. You you become grateful for that, um, a new life perspective, and you mm. learn to like live in the present and become less materialistic. I think it's very important to go through the stages of grief, to mourn, and to take your own time. I read every book about surviving suicide and grief and the processes of grief, but it's just you just take your own time. There's no like timeline on the grieving process. And I don't believe there's an order to it. You know, there's the five stages of grief, but there's no order. Like I could feel all of those stages in one day, in one moment. Mm. I think it's important to talk and share your feelings in a safe space. And my safe space was the spiritual group with these old spiritual people that didn't know me from a bar of soap and my online suicide survivor groups and this is where I found my strengths and I guess when you when you get through that and when you find all of that nothing can stop you I still have very bad days it all depends on on the day I guess like whether it's a song I hear or a movie I watch I still can't watch Star is Born because I just see Christian in Jackson and yeah. if you've seen the movie it's yeah. it's a very similar story I have you're doing such a beautiful job of articulating your story and also being able to give nuggets of hope to those who have gone through somebody close to them suiciding or somebody close to them dying thank you I'm surprised um I'm coping. I know Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie's been, she's raking me at the moment, like um, distance reiki. And I did a bit of reiki myself. I think that's definitely helping me. <laughs> the magic. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard. Our song was Rocket Man from Californication. I still can't watch Californication. And every time I hear Rocket Man, I just burst into tears. Um, you know, I can be in a supermarket walking through Sainsbury's and Rocket mm. Man will come on and I'll just crying like have to run out the store so I do I get triggers out the blue and that's normal mm. you know they can make me sad or angry it completely yeah. depends on the day some days I'm so angry at Christian and then other days I've got compassion Elle what you seem to be doing rather well mm -hmm. is taking your emotions as they come and being soft with yourself about them that's how it sounds to me that whether you're angry or you're sad or you're cross or frustrated or you seem to be accepting that that's how you feel in that moment and allowing yourself to feel that. Would you say that's that's right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important to, to feel the grief. And if I'm angry in that moment, just to be angry. And I'll say to myself, okay, today's going to be an angry day. Tomorrow might be better. It might not. Who knows? But just to... In the beginning, I was with Jess, Dakota, my mom, and all the other deaths I've experienced. I sort of forced myself to, to not feel the anger and the sadness, and just to like move on. 
you know but with with christian it's it's been different i've experienced that feeling and that pain and that sadness or the anger and i just work through it i don't know how but i just i i, I just have been when you were in mallorca after jesse's death i remember you came back to the finca with pit our shaman and you held a ceremony for her in the yurt and my work now is a lot to do with taking a ritual and an intention over something that you would like to um, let go of, heal from, manifest, connect to, and doing something that you feel is significant for that moment, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that is something that helped you in that situation and have you found yourself doing rituals like that or similar for Christian and Dakota? Absolutely. Um, My rituals is lighting a candle. I've got a whole foray of candles at this stage for people that have passed and um, playing some gentle music and I like to sort of meditate i play whatever music it, you know it doesn't necessarily have to be chakra balancing music it could be a pop song a commercial song but i i sort of i like to listen to my music i light my candles and i just open space for them i talk to my guides and spirits and my ascended masters and whoever else is up there and I know they're there, you know, I know they're around all the time. I learned this in my ayahuasca retreat. I saw them. I saw the souls. I saw the spirits. I saw my mom, my child. And um, it's in those moments of rituals that I remember that we are all connected. And I do forget. I forget sometimes, you know, I get on with my day and I forget. And then it takes moments like that where I'm in my deepest sadness and I'll light a candle, listen to gentle music and sort of connect to that again to that higher consciousness or to spirit or whoever Mm. it is, them. And that definitely does help, definitely. Have you had a practice of deepening your connection to the divine through this? Like um, when I've spoken to other people in trauma and grief um, and we've spoken about a connection to something higher than our human consciousness, they have told me that they have felt some... Uh, relief from the pain of that trauma or some greater understanding and they've done that through meditation through plant medicine sometimes but mostly through quietening their mind and listening to their breath is that something that you have found a gateway to yourself that has helped absolutely I definitely think I'm uh, developing or growing my sort of mediumship abilities as well. Ah, okay. I've, you might think I'm a bit crazy or the listeners might, but I've sort of heard voices since that period when I was 28, when my friend Brandon died and I went through this whole Saturn return and that's when my spirituality started. And I met this woman in uh, Dublin. She was a medium. It was the first medium I'd gone to. Her name was Flora. And I found her, I went walked into a crystal shop and found this notice board on the wall with a list of psychic mediums. And I saw this name, Flora, and I thought, she sounds good. Gave her a ring, arranged to meet her. And she was like my Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost. This African woman from Kenya walked into the room. Like I, On the phone, she sounded Irish. I thought this was this little Irish woman that was going to walk in. But it was like Whoopi Goldberg. She had dreadlocks she had a gold tooth she had a like I think it was a glass eye she was just so out there and she started talking and passing down messages from my mom and that was the first medium I ever visited and she was my gateway okay. to spirituality and that whole sort of realm she gave me my first crystal which was yeah. a black obsidian she introduced me to reiki offered me reiki for free I, that's how I got into reiki and I'm now a reiki healer and absolutely swear by it it's amazing energy healing um but during that period I started hearing voices I would meditate I would do full moon rituals I'm definitely a child of the moon I I find it very sacred my new moon and full moon rituals um, where I can deeply connect I would hear voices 
talking, singing, and I was a bit afraid. So I sort of pushed that away, pushed that aside. And as you know, I left Dublin and ended up working in the yachting industry for about eight years. And then everything happened with Jess, and that's when I went to Bali. And again, my spirituality started opening up again when I, you know, immersed yeah. myself into all this healing. And I would go to breathwork in Changu, and um, I would hear these voices again, and they would come through, and I get like very high frequency ringing in my ears and all sorts of stuff. And that only happens when I'm in a deep state of meditation, when I'm really, really connecting. Mm -hmm. And that's when I feel absolute compassion and unconditional love. It's the most amazing feeling. Mm. And during this time, during lockdown, I'm in England and I've really had the opportunity to go in. I've been forced to, I can't move around. And I have definitely been connecting to that again. I went actually went to a past life regressionist a couple of weeks ago here in uh, the Cotswolds and a lot of stuff came through and she about my past life with Christian and she put it all into perspective as well. He was from a past life and we had both made the soul contract that we would come back into this life to deal with our, our karma sort of thing. And that's why our souls connected. We both knew that he would die and all sorts of stuff. So that really helped me very recently understand his death and kind of just connect all the dots, strangely. And mm. this mm. this woman was just amazing, Louisa. She's pretty um, well-known in that sort of industry. And she said actually said to me a couple of weeks ago that my mediumship um, – is going to be coming through very fast and very quick. So it's strange that you're asking me this question. So I've sort of parked that on the side. I thought, oh, that's lovely. I'd love to connect. Last week, I think, I had a medium reading, the psychic medium, also in the UK, and this was just over the phone. And she was just quite surprised that my whole sort of reading was spiritual. And she said the same thing, gave me the same message. Mm -hmm. So I think really focusing on myself and my higher conscious and connection is definitely helping mm. in the yurt when the shaman when Pitt did that little sort of ceremony for me to say goodbye to Jess to let her go that yeah. there was something so special in that there really really was and like I feel Jess with me all the time I feel Dakota with me all the time I feel Christian with me all the time do you find comfort from feeling those people with you? Absolutely. When I'm like really yeah. sad or having a bad day, I will talk to them in my head or out loud if I'm alone and I call upon them all. And, you know, it might not be all of them at once or, you know, the same day. It, it kind of depends how I'm feeling. And I do, I feel them there. When I was in England just after Christian had died last year, I felt him on the bed next to me. I felt his arm wrapped mm. around me. And, you know, I feel a bit crazy saying this to some of my friends because there's a lot of people that don't believe in that sort of spiritual world. But I think if you really, truly connect, um, and there's mm. a saying, seeing is believing, that's nonsense. Believing is seeing. I really believe that. Like when you really, truly believe, you will see it. Yeah. Exactly. If somebody's struggling right now and they're after something, anything to grasp hold of to be able to get through this particular time in their lives, where would you advise them to start? My message, I would say, is that everything has a cycle. Everything is cyclical. Tides turn. What goes up must come down. And likewise, What's down will definitely come up. Everything's cyclical. Um, for me in particular, in regards to your question, if they were going through a suicide, I would say, well, how I've sort of coped with this myself is I've realized that it was Christian's choice. He chose pain, sorrow, death. It wasn't my choice. He left me and I've decided not to leave me. I've decided to pick myself up and move forward. And you know, do the inner work, take your time, meditate, reach out, find your own support group. There's no one size fits all. It's different for everybody and take your own time and you will find it. But ask for the answers, go within, you know, pray, meditate, go for a walk, do whatever you need to do. But if you ask, you will get the answers. They are there, but they need to be asked. They need to be invited. Your spirits need to be invited in. And something you said 
earlier on was that people didn't know how to respond to you or talk to you or what even to say. What would you say to people who who would like to comfort somebody more or to know what to say, but they just don't have the words? What would you say to them? How would What would be the best words to offer? I would say, um, you know, someone just to to reach out and just to let you know that they're there when you are ready. Um, it was so sick of hearing it's meant to be, he's in a better place, all that sort of stuff. That's not what you want to hear at all. But just let the person know that you are there for them when they are ready and check in on them. You know, I mean, I got so many calls and texts and emails that I didn't open for months after that. And I'm still reading through them and only just getting Mm -hmm. back to the people. You know, that whole year was a blur. Like, you just don't remember. And you're in such a deep, dark place. And you've got to go through that yourself. But check in on your friends. Send them the message. Because, yes, I would, you know, my phone would flash up and I, you know, I'd see the person's name. And just to know that they are there in the background yeah but um let the person sort of go through it and go through the feels in their own time and offer them your love and support but um don't rush them either you know don't tell them that it's meant to be and you'll you know everything's going to be okay and you must move on and that's not what the person needs to hear at all there's no time frame for grieving that's such good advice that's such good advice I was given a call from my ex-husband's boss, actually, when my dad died. And it was, he'd he'd never, I mean, we had a a relationship. He was my husband's boss. He was really, really nice. We used to um, go and see him. It was that they owned restaurants. So we used to hang out at the restaurant sometimes. And it was always lovely. But he'd never made the time to call me ever. There was never a reason to do that. But when I went back to work after my dad died, Paul phoned me and he said lots of nice things, many of which I can't remember, but he did say, you will smile again. And that I, that I remember that really helping. And I didn't, you know, laugh or smile for, I couldn't smile about him. I just cried every time I thought about him, of course, but that did help in the long run and I've, I've said that to other people, so I hope that's been of some value to them. But that, for me, stuck in my mind. Absolutely. The tides do turn. Everything is cyclical. It, things will get better. You know, Jess died. I never saw a way out of it. I moved to Bali. There was light. I was happy again. Um, and I met so many wonderful people during that time. And then Dakota died, and I went back to rock bottom again. But I remembered that those that short space of time of feeling good and that sort of kept me going and then I met Christian and I was so happy and going through his death I just you know you have to remind yourself the tides do turn you know I've picked myself up so many times from the very start when I was 16 after my mom's death you know and all the other deaths in between and you do you pick yourself up you know when I talk about women having resilience I I can't think of of another woman with more resilience right at this very moment because you know again and again you pick yourself up and you go through this story and you pick yourself up and I have such huge admiration for you I really do thank you thank you at the end of our podcast I always ask my guest what they would say to the girl they used to be we bring the girl we used to be and the woman we are now and the woman we are yet to become into many of my ceremonies and rituals. So if you were to look back and sit next to the girl you used to be, what would you say to her right now? I would say, look how far you've come. Honour your strength and your resilience. You will get through it. (sighs) That makes me well up. (laughs) And to the woman you are now, what would you say to yourself now? I would tell myself, um, you are so loved and protected. You have a purpose, keep going, and one day this will all make sense. There is a divine plan. I really think there is a divine plan for everybody. And I think I have a sense that you're on the cusp of developing yours. Have you got an image, do you think, of the woman you are yet to become? I would like to be a healer, 
and a guide and a teacher of some sort and help other women as you are Nanette helping so many women you know I didn't have that support because I lost my mom from a very young age and I just I wish I had people like you and even me now for that girl that I was when I was 16 so I would like to be in that sort of I would like to be a healer and be able to help people that have gone through all the stuff I've gone through. I think there's definitely room in this world for big sister mentors and women, older, wiser women. You know, us women in our 40s, we consider older now and more wise, <laughs> you know that. And I think there's there's room for for women of our age and much older than us, you know, 30 years ahead of us to become mentors and guides for younger girls and women to hold their hands. And that's what would have happened in the tribes and communities of generations ago that we have somehow through our, I don't know, our society now, we have somehow lost so much of that mm -hmm. wisdom and connection to the wiser crone archetype. And I think it's about time it started to come back. I see a wave of that coming back, you know, on the people I follow on social media. And I see a wave of that coming back. But I think you are definitely somebody that inspires. You have such depth to you. Every time I speak to you, you are so kind and so caring and so gentle. And I think anybody who crosses your path who really needs somebody is going to find real comfort in talking to you. Thank you, Lynette. Well, I learned from the best. You. Oh. You've been an amazing teacher. Well, I don't know about, about learning from me. I think you've done all of that work yourself. And I, I do believe we have a contract we brought into this life. And you're working through yours as I'm working through mine. And this is our path. And we develop on a yearly basis because of it. So I thank you so much for bringing your story out, for having the courage to speak it. I really give you all my respect and thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Lynette. If you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to dig deep into your resilience and find your true power, I would really love to hear from you. Because when women stand up and tell their stories, they give hope and inspiration to those who are struggling right now. And we really do need a ton of strength sisters, women we know and women we don't know, to be held by, to be heard by, and to be inspired by. Dig deeper into your own self-discovery. Check out our coaching ceremonies to find both yourself and the medicine woman within you. And download our divine rituals to get you back on the road to your highest life purpose at www.awomansblessing.com.